ago, but it's so fitting for what we're talking about today. And I hope you got a lot of fun out of that. I love that uh, version of uh, resolutions because I think, as I'm going to prove here in just a moment, I'm, I really wonder if they really work. But what we're about to do today is begin a new series called Devoted. And uh, we're going to attempt to look into God's word and we're going to try to move away from, from basically the whole idea of resolution to something that's a little more biblical, transformation. And so if you will, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, um, you know, uh, occasionally I'll run into families and, and especially wives who basically say that their husbands need a timeout. How many of you wives think that sometimes of your husband? They need a timeout. Well, Robin Black was telling me that David needs a timeout today. So David, come on up here. David, if he's shocked, he does not know anything about this. Um, but anyway, David, come on up here. Um, I need to use you this morning. Uh, if you don't mind, I need you to go behind the stage here and... You, you'll fit. It, I know it's small. Let's see. There you go. Suck it in. There you go. All right. Great. All right. I, I got a recliner back there for you to sit in and you can just sit there and, and we'll let you know when we want to see you. Okay. All right. Um, so what I want to do is I want to begin and take some time to really set up what we're talking about over these next six, six weeks. So if we will look at the series intro. Uh, resolution is defined as the former expression of intention or the act uh, or the act of a determining action. Now, what I want to do is show you here on the screen why I feel and uh, that resolutions really don't work. And I have the percentages to back what I'm talking about. It depends on where you look, but you'll find that only 8 to 12% of those who desire to have resolutions for the new year only 8 to 12% will actually succeed in those changes. And there's reasons for that. Look here, why do they not work? Well, number one, you're treating a marathon like a sprint. You see, so many times the very thing we want to come into our lives, we need to realize that it needs to be a lifestyle change. There needs to be something that's going to change. You look at uh, overeating or whatever, want to lose some weight. I, I get that. We've all had that one on the list at some point or the other. But, but the point is, it has to be a lifestyle change. It can't be a quick fix. It's a lifestyle. Number two, you have goals that are not clear. Uh, the thing that helps me when I look at goals, when I look at where, whether I'm looking at goals for my life or goals for our church or vision for our church, is I have to imagine the outcome. The outcome. What, what do I want to see? What do, you, what do we believe God wants us to see that this change is going to lead to? But so many times we're just too focused on the actual change itself. Number three, this is where I get stuck many times. Too much thinking, not enough doing. Now, let me tell you what some of you did. Some of you were thinking of 2020. And, and as Jonathan said earlier, it's not only a new year, it's a new decade. And some of you probably have done what I've done in the past. And I will sit down and I get, I'll start thinking, you know, get a little time off away from the job a little bit. And, and I'll start thinking about what do I want to see change in the new year? And, and sometimes I'll write out a schedule. I'm going to start getting up at 6.30 a.m. I'm going to the Y. I'm going to go work out. I'm, I'm going to bring this into my life. I'm going to uh, go on a diet. I'm not going to drink soft drinks for a whole year. See how that, how far do we go with all that? We have all that planning and then not enough doing. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit of, of, of uh, I'm going to tell you a Corby story. This past week, Corby and I went out to lunch. 
And as we're driving over to Yamato's over there, we're driving over and Corby, I said, uh, what's going on with you? Well, he said, I got to get some of this weight off. And I said, oh, you look fine. He really doesn't get a little weight off. But anyway, um, <laughs> so, so, so anyway, we're on our way over there. And, and, and so Corby's telling me all these things he plans to do as far as taking the weight off and everything. And, and he tells me, how many of you have heard of these intermediate fasts that people are doing? Some people are fasting two days a week, not eating anything on certain days. He said, I'm not going to do that. He said, I'm just going to eat during certain hours. I said, well, what are you thinking? He said, I'm only going to eat from seven to seven. I said, <laughs> I said okay, all right. Uh, he said, I'm just going to drink water. So we go into the restaurant and the first thing he says, it comes out of his mouth. I'd like a Pepsi. Um, <laughs> and he orders this big food flyer. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is we, we have all these ideas. We begin to think about its potential and we think about it all. Number four, we're too much in a hurry. Many of us are just too busy for change. Did you know that change requires uh, time? You, you're, you're literally transitioning. And when you're transitioning, it takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes all those things. How about this? You don't track your progress. You don't have periods of evaluation. You don't sit around and, and say, evaluate what you did, what needs to change. If you failed, uh, wh where are you going to go from here? Those type of things. And then number six, you don't have social support, no accountability. And we all need that in our lives. Number seven, you know what you, what your what, you know your what, but not your why. Why? You, you know what you want to do, but why do you want to do it? You, you see, that's so important because the what many times is not the real issue. It's the why. Why do I want this to change about me? What, what, what's happening? So why do you want to change? And then a really a good question is this, why have you not changed before? And here's what many of you would say. Well, that was my resolution last year. It was the year before. It was the year before. <laughs> Some of these things are, and to the point, we, we're just, it's like what we saw this morning. We give up. We don't even have them anymore because we know we're not going to keep them. But we got to get to the why. And probably a bigger question is this. Why do you fail? Why do you fail? I mean, think about that. There, there's, there, maybe there's some root causes in your life. I'll give you one example. I think a lot of people, they say the number one thing that people want to do when it comes to resolutions is lose weight. I think all, all of us have been there before. But, but let's just say that you start out and you're like, I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to lose this weight. I, I know what I got to do. But the, question, the better question is, why do we fail at this a lot? And it could be that there's a root cause or some, something deeper than what we're seeing on the surface. Part of it could be that maybe, maybe food is a comfort to you. Maybe it's something that you do to, 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 to medicate yourself. And so it's not enough to know what I want to lose weight, but why? What, what's keeping me from doing what I feel like I need to do? And that, that could apply to a lot of stuff. So I'm here to say that change, at least the way I look at it, the reason resolutions don't work is because it's gotta be a greater change than what we anticipate. And that's the reason I'm convinced it's gotta become transformation. So look on your outline. Transformation is defined as the state of process of being transformed. 
creating a change in nature and character. And all this describes a deeper work, a deeper work. According to God's word, the work of the Holy Spirit is best described as transformation, not resolution. It's a deeper work. So how do we move from resolution to transformation? David, how are you doing back there? Okay, good, all right. We'll be with you in a minute. Okay, so look here on the screen, Romans 12, 2. Now, I took this, most of us know Romans 12, 2. Some of us can memorize it or say it out. But I want us to take it from a, a paraphrase, the message. Look at what it says. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture or conform to this world that you fit into it without even thinking. That means you just basically are just kind of going through the motions. It's that, that picture of just going downstream. You, you know what I'm saying? You're just going with the flow. And many of us, that's where we find ourselves. And then it says, he says that you don't, that you fit in without even thinking, going through the motions. Instead, fix your attention on God. To do that, it takes an intentionality. It takes a focus of mind and heart. And then he says, you'll be changed from the inside out. That's where true change happens is when there's a deeper work. When we begin to answer the whys and, and not pay so much attention to the what. Now, readily, look at this next part, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Now, how, do we, how would we know that? We know that from his word. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity. Did you know that psychologists tell us that our emotional maturity does not grow past much uh, of, of an average eighth grader? Now, how many of you could say, I can see that? How many of you could see the drama that surrounds you sometimes and think, this is the same thing we're doing in eighth grade? <laughs> the relationship, the dynamic with the relationship. Now, I'm not trying to be offensive here, but, but, but it's true. There's times I evaluate my reaction and I, I, respect, I, I react the same way in the eighth grade. Relationships sounds like eighth grade. The decisions I make sound like eighth. It's amazing that many of us don't go past the emotional maturity than that, than that. And then it says this, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. He's the one that's gonna take us to where we know that we need to be. Look on your outline. It is also important to understand that biblical transformation is devoted to a relationship with God provided by Jesus. And y'all, that's the greatest deeper work that could ever happen in your life is when you begin to look at your life in the context of God, and when you begin to look at the changes that need to happen in your life through the lens of why and, and through the lens of God's word and what his expectations of your life are really all about. So the bottom line, I wanna, I wanna kind of just bring it to the bottom line. Instead of merely committing yourself to do better through resolutions, in 2020, commit yourself to fall in love with Jesus. That means to be devoted to him. This will result in transformation. So many of us would say, okay, so you're saying, don't worry so much about doing better. You're saying, love Jesus. That's exactly what I'm saying. Because when we become in love with him, when we begin to understand that relationship with him, the whys are answered. Why I need to do, why I need to do. 
And then I want to kind of end it with this part. Always remember God is more concerned about who you are becoming than what you're doing. Did you know that the doing will follow the becoming? And I can prove that to you right now. In Ephesians chapter 2, just look here on the screen. I've, I've taken this from the Amplified Bible. It says in verse 1, And you, he made alive when you were spiritually dead. Okay? And separated from him because of your transgressions and sin in which you once walked. Okay? He's just describing how desperate your situation really was. Okay? And then it says, you were following the ways of the world. That means you were influenced by the world at this present age in accordance with the prince of the power of the air. The enemy was dictating a lot of what was going on in your life. The spirit who now is at work in the disobedience. This means the unbelieving who fight against the purposes of God. And many times we don't even know we're doing that. We're deceived by it. Verse three, among these, speaking of unbelievers, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Our behavior governed by the sinful self. That's the reason this selfishness and this sense of entitlement that comes to all of us. That's the reason that some of our marriages are struggling the way they are is because we're going with our passions. Everything, we think it revolves around us. There's entitlement that we think we're entitled to and there's a selfishness that comes with it, no matter what the relationship may be. And then he says, it gets a little deeper, indulging the desires of human nature without the Holy Spirit and the impulses of our sinful mind. We were by nature, listen to this, children under the sentence of God's wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Let me tell you what this really describes. It describes our old identity, our old identity. So we have David behind the wall, okay? David is in the darkness, okay? As a matter of fact, I've been back there. It's kind of scary back there. Uh, it really, yeah, I mean, you go behind there, there's cords everywhere, there's things laying around, all kinds of things that can trip you up. But behind this wall represents lostness, walking in darkness, bondage, insecurities, and maybe, just maybe, he's back there thinking in 2020, what do I need to do better? I mean, that's, that may be the commitment that he has. That may be what he's thinking about. But in verse four, look at verse four. But God, anytime I read the phrase, but God in scripture, I see there's potential for transformation. That's what I see. That, I mean, when I hear, but God, enter the possibility of transformation. Amen. Okay. And so that's what we see. So, so David, um, you awake? Oh yeah. Yeah. Come on. Come on out. There you go. Yeah. It's tight, isn't it? I, I can barely fit through there either. So anyway, so, so David is now walked out of the darkness. Okay. He's in the light. Okay. Was it scary back there? It was a little scary. Because <laughs> he didn't know what we were going to do once we pulled him out. Okay. But, but think about this. Comes from out in the darkness into the light. This represents someone in which transformation is slowly coming. Now, now come up here with me. Let's, let's kind of look at this together. Now. 
But being so very rich in mercy, because of his great and wonderful love with which God loved us, even when we were spiritually dead and separated from him because of our sins, he made us spiritually alive with Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. The walk from darkness into light. Okay, I want you to think about that. Is that whole idea of being spiritually resurrected. Okay, he is resurrected. He, he was dead, now he is alive. Okay. He's happier out here, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. Okay, all right, all right. And and then it goes on, for by his grace, his undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's awesome. All right, all right. And he raised us up together with him when we believed and seated us with him in heavenly places because we are, and here's the key phrase, in Christ Jesus. This is our new identity, Before we were saved, we were children of wrath. Before we were saved, we were held up in the the lostness of our sin. But now that old identity's gone. This is the new identity that's being described here. And it says, and he did this so that in the ages to come, he might clearly show the immeasurable and surpassed riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus by providing for our redemption. For it is by grace... That's the only reason he was able to come out here. It was by his grace. If you look at the illustration we're talking about, it was by his grace. That means God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given to eternal life. How? Through faith. You see, when we walk out of darkness into light, it is a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith. There's, there's something. We're responding, really, when you think about it, we're responding to the grace. And we're entering into that wonderful love that he has for us. And then he says this, and this, this salvation is not of ourselves. He, he could have never saved himself. He could have made resolutions to do better, to be a better husband, to be a better father. To do, I mean, he could have had all these things. But we need to understand that is a deeper work and it begins with what we're talking about here. Learning your new identity in Christ, not your old identity. Your old identity will not produce what your new identity can produce because you're in Christ. Now, he says, and this salvation is not of yourself, not through your own effort, but it is the undeserved gracious gift of God. Not as a result of your works. It's not about these resolutions to do better. So that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. That means David can't stand here and say, let me tell you all the great things I've done for Jesus today. (laughs) I mean, that may come, but it's not a part of the becoming. You see, what we're reading here is the becoming of someone. You, You see what I mean? becoming someone who's in Christ, okay? So what do we do with the doing? Where does the doing come from? Well, he's becoming. What does that look like? He's saved. He's walking in light. He's in right relationship with God. And he's Holy Spirit led. This describes him now. This is his new identity. Now, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art. How? created in Christ Jesus. That means reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for what? For good works. This is the doing. 
He became, he's becoming what God desires him to be through the transformative work of the Holy Spirit. Now from that comes what? The doing. You, you see what I'm talking about? The doing didn't transform him. It was the becoming that transformed him. And now the doing is the fruit of the becoming. Do you see what I'm talking about? That's the way this is described, okay? So, which God prepared for us before, beforehand, that means uh, taking paths which he set so that we would walk in him, living the good life, which he prearranged and made ready for us. So, what happens here? What does the good works look like? Well, I believe it's growing in faith. It's being discipled. That's the reason we believe small groups are so important in our church. Discipled, mentored. Okay, now here's the cool thing about this is David was a part of mentoring me many years ago. Many years ago. Now, now I mentor him. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but many years ago, that, that's what his role was in my life. And so mentor, uh, free from bondage. You see, when we... Stop looking at our lives through our old identity. You know what that looks like? Darkness, insecurities, sometimes that eighth grade emotional level. <laughs> and start living the way we're called to live. The bondage, the insecurities begin to fall away because we're learning about our new identity. And learning our new identity involves us learning more about who Christ is, but also learning more about who we are. And that's through that growing and discipleship. We begin to take on biblical worldviews. We begin to develop wisdom and discernment. Spiritual fruit begins to take place. We begin serving the Lord. The Bible literally says we become a new person. Listen to this. Therefore, if anyone is in what? Christ. He or she is a new creation. Old things are passed away. The old identity, the old sin, all those things do not have to be in, the, in his new identity. But he says this, behold, the word behold, you know, we've known this verse probably all our lives. Do you realize what the word behold really means? It's a presentation word. All of a sudden, behold, look at the new David. Look at the transformed David. Look at the, the one that has a new identity in Christ. That's literally what that word means. It's a presentation word. Behold, all things have become new. That's pretty cool, isn't it? But that's what we have. David, did a good job, man. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for helping me out. Okay, I know you won't be here next service. I wasn't going to call on you anyway. I need another poor sucker. No, anyway. Now, let me say this. All this is the introduction for the series. I will not finish the sermon, so just relax, okay? All right? Godly transformation cannot happen, and this is something I really feel strong about that I've discovered in my own life. Godly transformation cannot happen apart from God's word, okay? Prayer, at times fasting. Yeah, we're back to losing weight. No, it has nothing to do with losing weight just focusing everything that we have on what God has. Nothing else matters during that season of life and giving of yourself. Over the next six weeks, we're going to unfold how all these things go into transforming us into what God desires us to be. And that's how we're gonna be looking at this. So let's start with the, 
the first point. Look at the introduction. For the believer in Christ, transformation cannot happen apart from being enraptured. This means delighted beyond measure by God's word. God's word must hold a special place in your heart. Think about that. I want you to think about that. Going into 2020, if you're really expecting God to do a great work in you, if you're really expecting transformation to come into your life, then you've got to realize God's word has to be a desire of yours. It's got to be something that enraptures you. It's got to be your lifeblood, basically, because that's the way God is going to transform you. So let's start with this question. Has God ever spoken to you? Some of you are sitting here saying, now, what do you mean by that? Well, could he speak audibly? He has in the Bible, hasn't he? Could, could, he, could he speak through someone else? By all means, he could speak through someone else. But you know how he chooses to speak to us most of the time? Through his word, through his word. So the better question really when you think about it is this. Do you ever give God a chance to speak to you? Do you ever quiet your life? Do you meditate on his word? Do you ever just listen? If God did speak to you, here's a great question. Would you even hear it? Would you even hear it? For God to speak to the issues of your life, you must be in tune with God. You got to be in tune with God. I want you to think about that. How do you know when you're in tune with someone? Well, my wife has a way of doing that when we're not in tune with one another. It normally begins with the phrase, we need to talk. <laughs> How many of you just love that phrase? You men, you, you felt sick as I was saying it, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's really times, there's times where, you know, we're not in tune, we're not in harmony. So we, we need to talk about something. You know, when I get in the car, many of you have heard my adventures in the car. You know, she says I become someone else and I really do, I really do. I just conquering the road. I mean, listen, if I've offended you somehow on the highway, please understand it's someone else. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but anyway, here, here's what I'm talking about. It's that whole idea that God, listen, wants to be, he wants you to be in tune with him. Let me tell you what kind of world we live in right now. We live in a world where the world, the people of the world want God to be in tune with them. And they want to set the terms of the relationship. They want to set the terms in which they live. And then they want God to bless it. That's the world we live in. It doesn't work that way. We need to be in tune with God. So what does it mean? Well, to be in tune musically means harmony. When it comes to tuning with a radio, it means you have a good signal. There's something that you can hear. So the question is this, are you living your life in harmony with God? Do you have a good signal? Have you learned to discipline yourself to be able to hear from God, to spend time with God in God's word? Do you quiet your life and meditate? Why is this so important? Why is this so important? Look on your outline. First of all, his word provides instruction for salvation. His word tells us how salvation can come to our hearts. His word tells us how we can be transformed from someone who walks in darkness into light to someone who was dead, who is now alive spiritually. 
His word brings that about. So listen to this. Life must be seen and lived in the light and context of God's word. That being said, scripture is the source of saving faith. Saving faith. So look on your outline. First of all, we see the acquiring text. The acquiring text. 2 Timothy chapter three, look at verse 14. He says, but you must continue. That phrase is an imperative. That phrase is literally a command. Paul is telling Timothy, if you want God to do a great work in your life, if you want to see transformation, if you want to be a vessel in which God uses you to help transform the lives of other people, what must you do? You've got to continue. What do you continue in? In the things which you've learned. The things which you've learned. If you want to live by faith, that will be done by what you've learned from his word. Next is the convincing text, 2 Timothy 3, 14. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of. Basically, it's that whole idea that you've tried it and it works. You've tried it and it works. You've lived out a promise. You believe God for a promise in your life and it worked. There was a transformation that took place in your life. He says, if this transformation takes place in your life, this is what it will happen. You've tested it. It works. Could be that maybe you haven't gone that far in your life when it comes to your own discipleship. Maybe you've seen it work in someone else's life. Hopefully every one of you have someone in your life that demonstrates faith right there in front of you in which you see God working in that person's life. God wants to do the same thing in your life. He wants you to come to a point in your life where you know his word works in your life that it's transformative. Next is the tutoring text. Second Timothy chapter three, but you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of knowing from whom you've learned them and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures. Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to go back and you need to think about those who have poured into your life. You need to think about me. He even tells them that in several places in, in the two letters that Paul writes to Timothy. You, you, hey, mimic me. Follow, follow my leadership in this. God's working in my life. He'll work in your life. Look at me and you'll see the proof. That's basically what Paul's saying. But he goes even further back. He talks about those who, 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 who had faith in his own life, right there in his own household. But let's look at this carefully. There's two phrases that come out here. You have learned, and that whole idea of being assured of what you've learned, you know what that speaks of? Conviction, conviction. That's the problem with many Bible, those who claim to be Bible-believing Christians is they don't have conviction of the word anymore. Because to them, just as easy as they've learned the word, they can be talked away from the word. For them, they, not, what they know is not grounded. Yeah. It's not conviction. It's not something that they hold dear in their heart that literally they know that it works and it's such a way that this is God's word. Yes. Yes. But yet, what do we see? We see churches, we see denominations, we see all these that are moving away from the conviction of God's word. And it's right there. So he says, what you have learned, that's conviction. What you have known, that's observation. You see it played out. You know it works. Together, these solidify what we know to be true. 
And y'all, I'm convinced that if Christians do not get to this point where they learn the scripture and they have a conviction about the scripture and they observe the scripture to know that it works, that they can be easily deceived and pulled away from what God's word has to say. Next, we see the saving text. Verse 15, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. From verse 15, we see what it means really to be justified. The term justification is really a legal term. Many of you already know this. It means to declare righteous. It means that this person's declared not guilty. Now, as a judge, it would declare that the, the defendant is innocent. And that's what happens when we get saved. Now, now think about this. Before we're saved, what are we called in scripture? Sinners. We're not saved. <laughs> we're behind the wall. We, we have no hope. We're in darkness. But coming out from among that is where we see the salvation and how God wants to work in our lives. Next, we see his word provides instruction that is definitive. The word definitive means it's reliable and complete and can be trusted. Now, look at the first thing there. We see the inspired text, the inspired text. This is probably one of the most important phrases in all of scripture because it basically says, these are the words of God. So, so look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given, how? By inspiration of God. The word inspired or inspiration is the, is the greatest characteristic of scripture. It, it simply means God breathed or God spoken. It literally means these are the words of God. And so it's interesting to note that the Bible does not say the men, listen, the men who wrote it were inspired, but what? The scripture is inspired. The scripture. Now, don't you think Peter and Paul, John, don't you probably think they wrote other things? You believe that? Letters to other people? Paul probably wrote letters to other churches. But what we have here in God's word is what? What we believe to be the inspired word of God. So it's not that everything that these men put out and produced were inspired. It's what God chose to be inspired from the words that they wrote. And we see that. So the Bible is not a collection of the wisdom and insights of men or women, even godly men or women. Scripture is God's truth, his own word in his, his, his own word, in his own words, and it can be completely trusting. It can be completely trusted to build our lives upon. Next, it's definitive because of the proven text. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Profitable means tested, serviceable, proven, bottom line, it works. It works. Did you know that the Bible is proven in five ways? This is not on your outline. Five ways the Bible has been proven to be what it really is. First of all, it's historically proven. Did you know that? Not a single piece of evidence that has ever surfaced contains something that, that has been found or discovered that contradicts the Bible. Archaeology, listen, has only given more proof to the accuracy of Scripture. 
I'm going to give you one thing, and I've told you this one before. Did you know just as recent as 40 years ago that, that, that uh, historians uh, looked down on the Bible because uh, they never found uh, historically any proof, uh, everything proven that Pilate even existed? Did you know 40 years ago they discovered something in an archaeological dig that proved that Pilate did exist? The Bible's historically accurate, scientifically proven. The world is a spear. We find that in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. 600 years before Christ, Isaiah basically says, the earth is round, basically. Man did not discover this until the 15th century. I love things like that, don't you? When, when the Bible, when it's been sitting there the whole time and they didn't see it. The Bible says the earth is suspended in space. We found this in one of the oldest documents in scripture in Job. In Job 26, seven, it says that the earth is suspended in space when you read it. Sir Isaac Newton discovered this in 1687. It's also prophetically proven. The accounts of prophecy that's found in the Old Testament have been proven in the New Testament. The whole idea that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver, that he would be hung between two thieves. All those were written centuries before he shows up. It's uniformly proven. The Bible presents an unfolding single story. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages. It addresses hundreds of difficult issues without contradiction. And it has one of the main characters is in three persons, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Scripture is inspired by God and proven and therefore can be trusted to build our lives upon it. But let me tell you the greatest reason and greatest way I know that it's proven, God's word's proven, is because of what I've seen in my own life. I've lived it. I know what it says. I've looked at the promises. I've seen those promises. It works. Now, I want to close with this thought. If it's true, if it's accurate, If it's something that the one who created you says, this is a word for you, then why do we not pay more attention to it? Here's what I want to challenge you to do in 2020. I want you to get away from resolution. The way I see resolution is just the attempt of just doing better. I want to convince you through this series that you don't need a resolution. You need to be transformed. And through the transformation of what God desires to do in your life, that is where you'll find peace. That is where you'll find hope. That's where you'll find God and what he desires for you. So going into 2020, I want to challenge you to be enraptured with God's word. I want you to be delighted in it. I want you to to realize that your hope, your dreams, the the understanding about the basic ideas of what life is, your new identity, who you are in Christ. I want that to be your journey and, and, and your discovery for 2020. That you look into it and you say, God, I don't know everything it says. There's things I'm still trying to figure out, but God, I want you to reveal yourself to me through your word in the coming year. I guarantee you, if you get serious about that, you'll see transformation. 
You'll see the things that really need to be changed. And guess what? It'll all come out as a result of what you're becoming in him. The doing will follow, but it requires the becoming in what he desires for you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet at this time, if you will, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We have a hymn of invitation. And, and basically, the only thing I want you to do this morning is I, I just want you to reflect on what 2020 could be for you in your life in the coming year. Again, you remember what I said about resolutions, the reason they don't ever work is one reason is we don't understand the why behind it of what we're doing. I want you to look at the why. Why would I want to look at God's word in a deeper way in 2020? Why would I want to invest my life in his word in 2020? That's going to be my attempt next week too, to show you that. So I don't know where you are in your life this morning. You may be someone that's still behind the wall. You're back there in darkness. You don't see much hope. To be honest with you, it's kind of a scary place. Maybe that's where you are this morning. You haven't become that new creation in Christ. We would love to take God's word this morning and show you how you become that new creation. Maybe you're someone that's here this morning and you've walked from behind the wall many years ago, but you've never been discipled. You've never been mentored. No one's ever come alongside of you to to walk with you in your spiritual growth. And, And you don't feel a whole lot different from when you were behind the wall because you just don't understand. You haven't made the investments. I want to challenge you in the year 2020 to make the investments. Make those investments that will bring forth your growth, that God can honor your life in such a way. Maybe you're someone in this room and maybe you're becoming aware of the necessity to be part of a local church. We invite you to come also. If this is the church you believe God's calling you to be a part of, we invite you to come this morning. We just want you to do what God wants you to do and what he desires for you in this new year to come. After I sing, I want us to sing this hymn of invitation myself and other pastors to be here at the front. We just ask you to do what God's calling you to do. Father, we just come to you right now. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the strength of your word. We thank you for the power of your word. And Father, I have no doubt that even while we've been teaching your word and singing praises to you this morning, that the possibility of transformation could have happened in these moments. That right now you're calling people out of darkness into light. You're calling people who, who are hurting, who, who have, they've come here to have no other place to turn but to your word. Father, I know that was the point for many of us in this room. And we tested it and we saw that it was good. We saw that your word works. We saw that it was something that was powerful, that that transformed us and that we're now a new creation. Father, I just pray you'll have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.